Father, as we come now to share in your word, we ask again that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, in a way of, of introduction this morning, before I get to the passage this morning in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, we've been left off in the book of Matthew, actually, just at, at the end of chapter uh, 4, before the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and getting initially right into the Beatitudes, which is uh, that the Sermon on the Mount is considered by uh, a lot of uh, old-timer in the sense of theologians going back uh, a long ways, is to be basically, uh, you might say, the Christian manifesto. The, the ideal of the way to look at the church, the, the, the character of the people of the church, the body of Christ. And, and so uh, we thought it would be appropriate uh, to do a series as we approach that first on the church itself. Uh, and, and in prompting that series, uh, we're looking at primarily the book of Ephesians uh, to, to feed into that. This is a series that will probably conclude the first or second week of June. We'll be using it all the way through the month of May. Um, in a way of review, chapter 1, Ephesians, uh, just a few statements. It says uh, in the first few verses of chapter 1, Before the foundation of the world, God chose a people for Himself. And the desire to want to bless with every spiritual blessing His people. And He said that this people that, He says, they were predestined to be adopted as His children. I I want you to get the idea of the intimacy of that relationship. Adopted as His children, we are the family of God. All who confess, all who believe in Jesus Christ, we are the family of God. And all of this being done according to the purpose of His will. And He even says according to the, at one point in there, according to the counsel of His will. And made me think, who gives counsel to God? I'm beginning to sound a little like Job here. Uh, you know, who gives counsel to God? No one. God needs no counsel. And before the foundation of the world, He put together the plan of salvation. And, and, and so He didn't take counsel from us. And also remember, as we look at this, because it's before the foundation of the world, He didn't... The, the plan of salvation isn't a second thought. It's the original plan. God doesn't have plan B. There is just Plan A, and that is is, as he puts it together through his own counsel, the counsel of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, uh, all being done according to the purpose of his will. I shared with you my picture of, of, of looking at this as a great symphony that God has written. The symphony that, that, that shares the glory of his Son, the redemption of man, and, and every part is, is written out in such a way that we are now playing out that symphony. We are bringing it into, into fruition in the sense of our lives. 
And uh, again, written before the time, before creation. Uh, this plan, you know, uh, I was looking at verses 7 through 10 in chapter 1. It says the, the, the picture of, of what He was going to do for us and is doing for us. In Him we have redemption through His blood. In Christ we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. I love that word lavished because it ideas that He poured out more than is necessary. Not just enough, but more than enough. According to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In this plan, He says that we, we are uh, also, uh, the, the church is predestined to inherit something, an inheritance. We find very clearly that inheritance defined in Romans that it's, it's what Christ has inherited, He shares with us. We have eternal life, but not only eternal life, but eternal life and sharing with Christ the glory of heaven. Uh, it's an amazing picture. And you, you go to Revelation and you see the picture of the new heaven and the new earth, and you realize that this is what our inheritance is. It's what we have. And He's promised this to His church before the beginning of time through the blood of Christ. And He's given us a guarantee. Verses 13 and 14 of chapter 1 says, He's given us a guarantee, the Holy Spirit. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that word guarantee, as if God had to guarantee something, but He has done that for our sake. So that we can rest with confidence that God of all creation will do exactly as He has planned. As He has said, He will complete and, and finish the work He has started in us. And He is guaranteed it by the indwelling of His Holy Spirit. We, the church, the, the, the people of, of, of God, are His chosen people. Some people will say, well, that was initially you know, Israel, and it was. But at the point in time that we come now, there is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is there's only those who rest in Christ. And we are the church, His chosen people. The church is the word, I think we went over it clearly enough, but just to remind you, the church is a, a people, not a place. We are the called out. We are the assembly. We are the gathered that we come together. Those who have been called into Christ, who have confessed Christ as their Savior, as we're called together, we are the church. So no matter where we meet, we could be meeting at the park underneath the awning over there at the shack, Snack or the shack, I can't snack shack. There we go, uh, and and uh, uh, we would be the church meeting. And in fact, we've done that a few times, and so the church is who we are. It's not where we go; it's who we are. And then Paul has a, the the prayer for the church, verses 17 through 21 of chapter one, and uh, just to to share that with you again. Uh, he says that uh, uh, he wants. He says that the, that the God of our Lord Jesus uh, Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, 
that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance, this inheritance that He has promised us, that He's guaranteed us, this inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable, I love this word, immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under Christ's feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. That brings us to where I want to pick up this morning, Ephesians chapter 2. And I want you to notice as we're going through that, you're going to see certain words repeated over and over and over again. The words you, we, and us. And uh, they're all referring to the people that God has called into His his church. And so, uh, read chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Remembering where we left off that we are His body seated with Him in, 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 in glory already in the sense of that picture. He says, and you... You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. Be sure you get that. Among whom we all once lived. In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and the mind and uh, the desires of the body and the mind were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind but god being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved and raised up with Him and seated as with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace. Again, that word immeasurable. In kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The first three verses of chapter 2, I I, I note them in my way of thinking as, and I'll apply them to myself for the moment, my B.C. days, before Christ in my life. And and he reflects this picture. The people called, uh, you know, at one point, you, you, know, you were, and he's referring to the church at this point. He says, you, people that are reading this, the church, were dead. And that dead here is spiritually doomed and ultimately physically doomed with the death of being separated from God. And you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. 
And while these words are synonyms in a sense for each other, there's some distinctions also. And I was thinking, why is Paul using both words together here? And I think just the idea that there are boundaries or lines that God has put out. And you know how you, you, you go up to a no trespassing sign and what, what runs into your mind? Not to what? Go across that boundary or past that point or over that fence. Uh, not everybody pays attention to that. And he's saying basically that mankind as a whole, God has put up a number of no trespassing signs and we have just simply barged over them. There's a number of them today we can, you know, that are constantly uh, before us in our culture today. Certainly the gender issues, homosexuality and transgender and all these. These are lines that God says man should not cross, but we've crossed over them. And we've crossed over them in such a way that it's even impacted the church. And so this idea of trespasses, lines where God has established the boundaries. And then sins, the idea of missing the mark. And whether they're in error, meaning that unintentional or intentional, doesn't matter. We miss the mark. Why do we miss the mark? Because we are fallen. We are without, you know, without Christ in us, there, we have no moral boundaries. And people will say, well, I know all sorts of moral people who aren't Christians. Moral from a standpoint of, of personal choices and, 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 and values, but never with the intent of glorifying God. That's the number one boundary. What is man created for? To glorify God. So anything we do outside of that is less than. And unless you have Christ in you, unless you have the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, you can't glorify God. So we're dead. We were dead in our trespasses. He said you walked in these trespasses, in these sins, following the ways of the world. The spiritual leader, he says for that group of, for the, the world, for all who are outside of Christ, the spiritual leader, leader is the prince of the power of the air, always at work in the sons of disobedience. People don't like to hear this, and it, but it's, it's pretty cut and dry again. You are either under the grace of God or you're under the power of the prince of the air, which is Satan. It's cut and dry in that sense. So we were dead to God. And, I, and, and in contrast to that, then what were you alive to? Well, you were alive to the world and, and to, and, and to uh, the, the fallen world in the sense of how it looks at things. For instance, in the Ephesian world, the number one thing that they looked to in the sense of a collective group of people was the worship of the goddess Diana. Okay? The... It's, it's embarrassing to think about, but, but the goddess Diana was, was a, a woman of, 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 let's just put it this way, the, the, the religion and, and the idea of worshiping her promoted perverted sexuality. They also loved their stadium games. They had a big stadium in, in, in Ephesus. And they, they, their games and their day-to-day lives. It says very clearly, we all lived like this. 
driven by our passions of the flesh and the desires of our bodies and our minds. made me think of, of, of what John writes in chapter 2 of, of, of 1 John. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. We were driven by our passions of our bodies, our minds, desires of the flesh. Our very nature caused us to be children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, before God is in us, before Holy Spirit is in us, before we've confessed Christ, we are like everybody else in the way of mankind and we are children of wrath. If you have any idea, as you look at the Word of God and you study it, what the idea of God's wrath is to be considered the children of wrath should be a very intimidating thing. Think about the wrath of God. It's the judgment of sin. Look at the final picture of the judgment of, 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 of the fallen, which frequently referred to as the second death, the, the eternal separation from God the Father. Hell. All of mankind, we are all fallen. None of there's no righteous. No, not one. All of us deserve the judgment, God's wrath. And before Jesus, before like I said, my BC days, before Christ in me, this is who I was. This is who you were. This is who the church was that He's writing to. All of us. Our very nature, fallen. I use the terms frequently, helplessly, hopelessly lost. What we deserve, then, is the wages of sin. What are the wages of sin? Death. In verse 4, this is what we deserve. This is who we are. But God. What a powerful little phrase. (laughs) Children of wrath. God made us alive together with Christ. Verse 4, verse 5. But God made us alive together with Christ. Why? Because of His great love with which He loved us. He's rich rich in mercy. He loves us so much. Even while we were dead in our trespasses, He loved us. Made us alive together with Christ. How did He do this? By saving us in His grace, with His grace. By grace you've been saved. Very simple statement. He'll elaborate on it in a minute. He, this, this picture of the grace is based on the fact that He has raised us up. He has seated us with, with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Take us back to chapter 1. 
We are seated with Him. We are the body of Christ. He is the head. We are the body of Christ. We are seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's raised us up. He has seated us with Christ. All part of His plan, all part of His purpose, all part of this symphony established, made, written, if you will, before the foundation of the world. And recall that this plan includes something He wants to do with the church. He wants to give us, pour out on us, lavish on us, every spiritual blessing. Holding nothing back. And these blessings come out of what is called here His immeasurable riches. When you think of something that can't be measured, what, do you, what starts to drive in your thinking? I, you know, I'm a guy that runs around. You know, I've got a measuring tape in the, in the in back here. I've got a measuring tape in my truck. I've got a measuring tape at home. And several, if you go into my shop, one at each saw because I can never keep track of where I left the last one. Uh, and I'm thinking, I wonder how many walls uh, and, and floors have buried my tape measures over the years. Um, but, you know, I, I, the idea of being able to measure something is, is, you know, measuring out this building as we figured out how much carpet we needed, measuring out the, the back there to figure out how much flooring we needed. There's always this finite way of, you know, figuring out how much of something there is or needs to be. But this riches that He wants to pour out, these blessings that He wants to pour out on us, can't be measured, not by anything we know. It can't be measured. That's so amazing to think. He wants to pour out on us gifts and blessings that we have no standard by which to measure. The only thing they can be measured against is eternal Christ and His gift of, of grace. And it's beyond anything we can comprehend or conceive. It's amazing. His grace, His kindness, His mercy. It's beyond anything we can count. Beyond anything we can, can grasp. And it's all done through Christ Jesus. You call in verse 5, By grace you have been saved. It's part of God's immeasurable riches. Is the grace that saved us. And again in verse 8, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. The grace that He has saved us by is, is, is again, something that's immeasurable. It's, it's, it's something that can't be measured. I know how many times I've said this, but it's so powerful for me in the way I think at least. And that is that picture of the reality that I will never, I will never be able to measure what Christ has done. Because He has done it for me. I will never know the fullness of the wrath of God. I will never know the fullness of the wrath of God. I will spend eternity looking at Christ and and it won't do any good to take my measuring tape. I'll never be able to fully measure it. Why are you know when we look at him, you know when John sees him, he falls in awe as a, like a dead man. It's just overwhelming. And again, it's more than than we can comprehend. It's certainly, if we look through all of this, more than we deserve. What do we deserve? Children of wrath, wages of sin. Verse four. But God, 
in His immeasurable riches that He wants to pour out on us, has given us grace in Christ Jesus. So by grace you've been saved. And it's been through faith. And the next statement, a lot of people don't know where to attach this. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. This idea, it's a gift of God. I believe is, is, is the grace and the faith together. The gift of God. To be able to rest in Christ. Before, I always go back to the, the, that meeting with a, with a man I've never known his name uh, that shared Christ with me at a, at a point in time where I was listening for the first time. I did not go with the intention to listen. I did not go with the intention to hear anything about Christ. I went with the intention to have breakfast with my friend. But that day, I believe God opened my eyes and I first, for the first time truly heard somebody's personal testimony about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I did not agree with it. Don't misunderstand. There was no immediate falling to my knees. But what I was convicted to do is something that I had never done before. And that was to open the Word of God and read it with the thought that maybe these guys believed what they wrote. And after reading it for, through, and I had been in the Word before in various sundry ways, I walked away with the understanding that these men passionately wrote about something they believed in. Couldn't feel, I couldn't figure out why. They believed it. But now I was on a quest. Why? Because I believe God opened my eyes to him and said, this is, this is how it works. A year and a half later, I'm on my knees confessing Christ as my Savior. I had walked the ways of the world and the desires of the flesh. All that, 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 that Paul writes here was me. And I was content with that in the sense that I had no desire to pursue another way. God opens my eyes to His Word. His Word convicts me. And I have to add to it, hearing His Word preached, of all the places to hear His Word preached, at Cal Poly. And it was Josh McDowell. And he shared his testimony. And I realized, that's me. I can't figure out the resurrection. That was what got Josh McDowell going. And so I started reading his stuff. And came under conviction. I heard the Word of God preached. I had my eyes open to see His Word and then hear it preached. And it finally sunk in. All of this to bring about the result of, of something we can't boast in. Paul says there's nothing that he can boast in of himself. He can only boast in Jesus Christ, his Savior. As a result, Paul writes, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which were prepared beforehand 
that we should walk in them. Where do the works come in? After the confession of faith. There's a change of heart and the desire to want to bless Him who's blessed you. To know Him who has blessed you. And as you do, the desire to serve Him grows. And that's where we enter into the works. James makes it real clear. Show me, you know, you can talk about faith all you want, but show me your works to, to, in the reality that shows that you have a faith. If you were to go on in, 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 in uh, chapter 2, basically the, the next uh, verses 11 through 22, the next uh, 12 verses, uh, basically tell you, uh, I'll give you a recap of some of this. Uh, verse 12, it says, Therefore, remember, uh, uh, there was a time that you were separated from Christ. Uh, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers in the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. I like this picture. We were strangers to God. We were, we were aliens to God. Now that we rest in Christ, what are we told? We're strangers to the world. We're aliens to the world as being part of the kingdom of God. We were far off, but we've been brought near. And it says, but now in Christ, the church has been brought near. And I think again, but now, but God. Because of what He has done, we've been brought near. And I, and I had to write into my notes the, a side thought here. But what about the wrath? Something has to be done with that wrath. And it's made really, really clear that by the blood of Christ, we have been reconciled and made at peace with God. Be at peace with God means that we can be in fellowship with Him. Before Christ, as we were walking without Christ in us, we could not be in fellowship with God. He's holy. He says, you you must be holy in order to be in fellowship with me. I can't be holy. I'm helplessly, hopelessly lost. He opens my eyes to His Word. I begin to see hints of His holiness. I don't understand it. And I, I pursue it. I get more and more. I hear it preached. And finally to that point where I confess Christ as my Savior and I begin to understand His holiness. I begin to understand that it's only through Christ that I can rest before the throne of God. There is no other way. But because of what He's done, I have been reconciled. I have been brought to peace with God through Jesus taking my wrath. It says very clearly, by the blood of Christ. By the blood of Christ, I've been reconciled. I'm at peace. I'm no longer uh, an alien and a stranger to God, but an alien and a stranger to the world. Jesus took my judgment to the cross and paid for it. He took the judgment of the church to the cross and He paid for it. 
wrath has been reconciled. The judgment has been taken care of. And Jesus, and I, I repeat this over and over and over again, said the words, it is finished. So we enter into our relationship with Christ and we confess Christ as our Savior. It is finished. The judgment is paid in full. By a, the sacrifice of Christ, by the blood of Christ, involved in a plan that was started before the foundation of the world, to be, you know, as God calls a people to Himself, you know, to be part of that. Every time we have communion together, this is what we're making a statement about. The blessings that God has poured out on us. We, we read a passage uh, this morning... Uh, Brad read a passage this morning in reference to even our trespass, even our, our, our uh, sufferings. We are to view even our tribulations. We are to view with a sense of of, of joy. Tom, please don't misunderstand. This isn't this kind of joy. I I I I have had some suffering in my life, and I can tell you that that not all of it brought about that kind of joy. The joy is knowing that in spite of what's going on in the world around me, no matter what is happening in the world around me, that God of all creation has a plan in reference to salvation that leads me to eternal life. And within the framework of that, He is even using the circumstances of the world around me to shape me, to appreciate that, to receive it, and to rest in it, and to enjoy it. I do think about that often, you know, not just to know it, but to enjoy it. Christianity, and we shared this a couple weeks ago, but Christianity isn't the idea of, of becoming a part of a group of people in order to, well, drudgerly go through our, 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 our routines in order to get to heaven, but to joyfully go and follow Christ. Resting in blessings, rich blessings, immeasurable blessings, at the top of which is the words, it is finished, the wrath is paid for. You are redeemed. You are reconciled. What an amazing God we have. I ask the ushers to come forward to uh, pass out communion. I want you to... Uh, if you would please to hold it until we've all been served and we'll share it together.
our faith, Paul writes, is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom we, the, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God the Spirit. This picture of, on the foundation of the prophets uh, and, and the apostles, the writings, the Scriptures, the God-breathed Word that we have. And Christ the cornerstone. That's who we rest on. Christ the cornerstone. He brings it all into, into to picture and, and into form. And again, I even think in the words of the psalm that all of a sudden, all the afflictions that, that we have are eclipsed. What a powerful, beautiful picture that is. Uh, are eclipsed by His glory. By what He's done for us. I realize that that's something I should be experiencing daily. The eclipsing of my afflictions by His glory. That's where that joy comes from. And all because He finished it on the cross for me, for you, for all who confess and believe. He told the disciples at the meal He shared with them the night that He was betrayed. As He was discussing you know, various things through the evening, but in the meal, he actually took the bread and after giving thanks, he broke the bread and, and he said, this is my body that's been broken for you. And he asked us as often as we would share this together that we would do it in remembrance of him. And at this meal, he took the cup of wine Symbolic of his blood. He said this would be the picture for us for until he returns, that we would share together. This would be the picture of his pouring out his blood for the covenant of our, that, that purchased the grace. And again, put that word in there immeasurable grace. And he asked us as often as we would do this until he comes again, that we do it in remembrance of him. Father, again, we thank You for pouring out blessings, blessings of salvation, but also blessings of assurance in the sense of, of indwelling of the Holy Spirit as the guarantee of, our, of, of, of the reality that You're going to finish what You have started. I always think of Philippians. The work that You have started in us, You are going to complete. We rest in that. And as we... Rest in that. We rest in it with a tremendous thought of thanksgiving for what You have done for us. We worship You. We praise You. We thank You for the grace that You have given us. We also thank You for the reality to know, Lord, that even now as, as we confess You as our Savior, there are, there are still points of times of, of sin in our lives, but to know that as we confess our sin, You are faithful. You are just. You forgive us. You restore us to all righteousness and justice where we are justified. And and, and we say thank You. To know that we have You as as our mediator before the throne of God who always speaks 
for us. Thank you. For the reality that you told us uh, through the writer of Hebrews that we can with confidence approach your throne for mercy and for grace for the needs that we have. Thank you. For knowing that the wrath is satisfied, that the wages of sin has been taken care of, that the sting of death has been removed. Thank you. We worship you. We praise you. We ask, Lord, that you would go with us with the desire to be the, 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 the people of God you need us to be. Not just the church in the sense of, of coming to worship you, but the church going out as well. And sharing the love, the grace, and the mercy that you have shown us. Maybe it'll be that sometime that you'll call us to sit at a, a breakfast table in a crowded restaurant and be willing to share the gospel. We ask, Lord, that you would make us willing. Thank you. In Jesus' name.